In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There are two mountains in Shechem. They seem from a distance to almost overlap. One of them is green and fertile. The other is brown, dry, and rocky, the epitome of arid. It's weird they are so close to each other with a strip of valley in between, the valley where Shechem was settled. Shechem is now in the West Bank, the occupied territories, and has had a name change. Now it's Nablus. But the mountains were there in Joshua's time, and there still. Those of us who have traveled to the Holy Land have seen them. Mount Ebal, rocky and barren. Mount Gerizim, fertile and green. Those mountains provide the absolutely perfect backdrop for Joshua's speech. He's addressing the Hebrew people who have made their way into and have made their home in the promised land under his leadership. Now, near the end of his life, Joshua gathers them saying essentially, well, here we are, what's it going to be? Me and my family, we're sticking with the Lord, but the choice is yours, what's it going to be? The clear implication is that the way Joshua and his family have chosen is the way of life and prosperity and the alternative is, well, rocky, barren, and arid. Maybe it was because he was a great orator, or maybe it was the terrific sermon illustration provided by those mountains, or maybe the Israelites really were all in with the Lord. Whatever the reason, every person from every one of the 12 tribes of Israel reaffirms their commitment to the Lord that day. This is a day for stories about commitments. We get one in the gospel as well. Bear in mind, the Israelites had 40 years to wrestle with their relationship with God. Jesus had a three-year ministry. And in the passage from John's Gospel, we catch a view of a particular and a particularly complex week. Jesus has fed 5,000 with just five loaves and two fish. He has walked on water. The crowds have followed him avidly, the numbers swelling each day. When we enter into this week, Jesus is now talking explicitly about his being the bread of life, and then goes on to say that those who follow him must eat his flesh. This teaching is too difficult for us, they say, and you can hear them thinking it was so much easier to just eat bread and fish on the lawn, easier even to watch him perform a miracle. Now he wants us to do what? They are confused 
and also deeply dismayed. So much so that many of his followers, his up to now serious followers, turn back. The commitment he asks is more, way more than they're up for. So Jesus asks those closest, what about you? What about you? It is Peter who speaks up to tell Jesus that they, or at least he, is not going anywhere. Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. Good answer. Serious commitment. Commitment is hard, really hard. Hard now, hard always. Every one of us knows that. After the book of Joshua in the Bible, we have 33 more books in the Hebrew scriptures demonstrating just how hard commitment is. There are wicked kings, prophets, both sometimes and enraged and heartbroken in equal measure, and psalms that lay out all the pain, joy, and confusion of trying to live a faithful life. The Hebrew scriptures catalog just how hard it was to keep those vows so quickly and seemingly effortlessly made at Shechem. In the New Testament, we know that before Jesus' earthly ministry ends, one of his closest disciples will betray him to his enemies. We know Peter will deny him and the other 10 will run for cover in the face of his crucifixion. And the letters, the epistles we call them, that follow the Gospels are impassioned pleas to churches from Paul and other leaders, urging the members of those churches to continue the hard work of living out the vows they have made in the face of very real struggles and confusion. Commitment is hard, really hard, hard now, hard always. So why make the commitment to God, to Christ? Why do we and every single Christian denomination encourage and even long for people to be baptized? At the heart of every religious commitment is the call to obedience. Obedience to God, to follow the Lord, to walk in Jesus' ways, and to do that when it's a source of joy, and to do that when it calls us to challenge many of the cultural norms we have grown up with and with which we feel very much at home. So why? It comes down to love. One of the things I value about our baptismal service is that it makes it so clear that love is the point, the whole point. Those of you who are here, please pick up those red prayer books in front of you and turn, if you will, to page 302. 
If you're joining us online, perhaps you have a prayer book at home. And if you don't, you can get the Book of Common Prayer online, and I encourage you to do that. But for now, just listen. You'll get the gist. At the bottom of page 302, there are three renunciations and there are three affirmations. The renunciations, which come first, ask the person being baptized or their sponsors and godparents on their behalf to turn away from everything that leads or draws them away from God. Those renunciations are followed by three affirmations in which those being baptized make their commitment to Christ. The last affirmation, which is on the top of page 303, is this. Do you promise to follow and obey Jesus Christ as your Lord? It puts that hard word, obey, front and center. Now, none of us, none of us should ever follow anyone, let alone obey anyone, if we don't know who that person is or that person's intentions towards us. Well, the first affirmation, back on page 302, tells us who Jesus is and what he intends for us. Do you turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as your savior? Having just turned away from sin and evil, we turn to Christ and who do we see? Someone who wants to save us and has the power to do that. And if we've spent time with those renunciations, ego bruising though it may be, we know that we need, at least some of the time, to be saved. Despite all that we do that keeps us from God and all the world does to draw us into complicity with the evil, Jesus wants to save us. Then the second affirmation. Do you put your whole trust in his grace and love? The two ways we know Jesus best are right there. Grace and love. The one who wants to save us, who is willing to save us, is the one who gives us gifts we don't deserve and loves us even when we are unlovable. Ask St. Peter of the triple denial if you don't think that's true. So when that last question comes, that final affirmation, the big step, the last step in that commitment, asking for our obedience. We already know that the one we choose to obey loves us. It's the last affirmation for a reason. Because if we're gonna obey, we obey the one, the only one, who offers us the saving power of his love. And with it, the assurance that nothing, not us, not anything we can do, 
not even death, will separate us from that love. Our commitment to Christ is hard, hard to make, hard to keep. Like the people of Israel and Christians in every generation, if we truly make it, we will struggle to live it out. But every day, Jesus will meet us and hold us, bolster us, and challenge us. Because though commitment is not our forte, it is God's who made us and loves us, world without end. Amen.